You guys can be seated, please. We're going to uh, continue to worship the Lord in our prayer, so let's pray together. Heavenly Father, You are awesome. You are holy. You are worthy of all praise. Uh, We are awestruck when we truly look at You and to see Your greatness and Your glory, Lord. And in the midst of that greatness and glory and power and eternity and everything that we can't even comprehend, You are so full of love that you sent salvation to us in the form of your own Son to come to be born humbly, to die on the cross, to be the Savior of the world, Lord. We praise you and worship you, Lord. And we acknowledge that we are the people that needed that Savior. We are the sinful ones. We are the ones who turn our back on you. We are the ones who think that we have answers that are different than yours, that are better than yours, when we should know that you are all wisdom, all knowledge, Lord, and that you are perfect in those things, Lord. So we pray for forgiveness, Lord. We offer up our own confession of our own individual sinfulness, our sinfulness as a people, as a community, as a nation, Lord. We do not seek you out. We do not follow your ways. We do not obey your commands, Lord. So we need your forgiveness. And we thank you and praise you again for the salvation that you give, Lord. And we thank you and praise you for your mercy and the grace that you offer so freely, Lord, to people who are so undeserving. And we praise you eternally, Lord. We want to praise you. We want to join you in heaven one day and sing the same song we just sang with the multitude of the saints, Lord. We look forward to that day, Lord. Lord, we we recognize today that there are those that are are either sick or hurting or in pain or uh, with great need, uh, physical, financial, emotional, Lord. We pray that you be with each and every one of them, Lord, and you know them and you know their needs, Lord. Um, And you are the one who uh, can perfectly heal every ailment uh, in every way, in every form, Lord. So we put our trust in you. We put our hope in you, Lord. And Lord, we pray that as we move forward in this service, Lord, that we would see your word, that we would uh, give it the authority that it has, Lord, in our own lives, that we would open our hearts to the truth, even when it is uncomfortable for us, when it challenges our own lives, Lord. We pray that we would put you first and foremost, in your word as authoritative over all things in our lives. And we pray these things in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Our scripture reading this morning comes from 1 Samuel chapter 8. 1 Samuel chapter 8. We're going to be looking at verses 4 to 8, which read, Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. And they said to him, Behold, you have grown old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint a king for us to judge us like all the nations. But the thing was displeasing in the sight of Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. The Lord said to Samuel, Listen to the voice of the people in regard to all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. Like all the deeds which they have done since the day that I brought them up from Egypt, even to this day, and that they have forsaken me and served other gods, so they are doing to you also. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. And our king's kids can go to king's kids. Thank you, Chris, and welcome again, everyone. Merry day after Christmas. 
And we are going to be in John 19. We are going to continue looking at the trial of Jesus. And today we're going to look at verses 8 through 14. Verses 8 through 14. So I'm going to read that now. It says, therefore, when Pilate heard this statement, and that was that he, Jesus ought to die because he made himself out to be the son of God, he was even more afraid. And he entered into the praetorium again, and he said to Jesus, excuse me, where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, you don't speak to me. Do you not know that I have authority to release you and I have authority to crucify you? Jesus answered, you would have no authority over me unless it had been given you from above. For this reason, he who delivered me to you has the greater sin. As a result of this, Pilate made efforts to release him. But the Jews cried out saying, if you release this man, you are no friend of Caesar. Everyone who makes himself out to be a king opposes Caesar. Verse 13. Therefore, when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at the place called the pavement. But in the Hebrew, it's Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation for the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. That's about 12 o'clock, 12 noon. And he said to the Jews, behold, your king. So they cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, we have no king but Caesar. <clears throat> so getting down to the crux of, the, of this here. Very interesting uh, passage of scripture as it relates to something that we're going to talk about that I think we could all relate to. And I know as much as the holidays can bring people together with joy and celebrating the birth of our, of our king, it's also, as Chris was mentioning in his prayer, very difficult for people as well. Holidays can be an emotional time. There are those who long for their loved ones who had passed. Maybe they were with them last year, not with them this year or a couple of years ago. It's very vivid in their memory. Some are separated from family. Others are reminded of broken relationships that could have been. Some are simply lonely. They miss uh, those holidays back when they were special or how they used to be. However, one of the worst things to feel on a special day of reflection, such as Christmas, many others, but especially Christmas, is the worst thing to feel is rejection. Being rejected by others can be very, very painful. But I want you to know that this is exactly how it was on the very first Christmas for Jesus. He was rejected from the very minute He came into this world, rejected by the innkeeper, by society as an illegitimate child. He was rejected by Herod. As you know, he wanted to kill him. He was on the run for for his life for his first couple of years and then ultimately rejected throughout his life, throughout his ministry, 
and even by his close friends at his death. Rejection is being dismissed or refused by somebody else. Could be an idea, could be a proposal, or it could be outright rejection because of who you are, what you've done in your past, or it could be for no legitimate reason at all. Maybe you just reject it because people don't like the way you look. Who knows? Jesus can relate to rejection as as exactly rejection that we feel, but in a much, much more way, what much more better way, as, as, as crazy as that sounds, than anyone else. He is God. He is the living God, and he was rejected by his people then, and he continues to be rejected daily by those he created even today. Although people everywhere celebrate Christmas this week, you know, weekend, many of those same individuals <clears throat> that celebrate Jesus' birthday on Christmas, or they celebrate Christmas, some of these same people reject him as the only way of salvation for the world. They don't, they don't want that. They want this, but not that, like a, like a sort of a buffet, and you could pick and choose the Jesus that you would like. But in our passage today, as we continue to look closer at the trial of Jesus, <clears throat> this time we're going to look at the how and the why that Jesus was rejected and then sent to the cross, which we should get to next week. We'll see that those who rejected him during his life and death and those who reject him now in this world and in our time have much more in common than we think. So <clears throat> who rejected Jesus at the time of his death? Well, we know Judas had rejected him as his disciples had rejected him. But specifically in this passage, he's rejected by two different people, or I should say one person, Pilate, and even worse, the second group of people is his own people, the Jews. So the Jews rejected Jesus. Now, first of all, <clears throat> a lot of the time we spend, in, especially in the, these passages about Jesus being rejected by the Jews and the Jews crucifying him and the Jews doing this and the Jews doing that. I just want to say, this is not an, an anti-Semitic sort of accusation when I say the Jews did this, the Jews did that. I feel a check in my spirit to tell you that. You see, the Jewish people killed Jesus, we could say, or the Romans, but they're the ones that brought him to trial. But remember who the Jewish people are representing. They're representing the people of God. They're representing Israel, who was supposed to deliver the world out of its situation and be, have a king to reign over them, which would sit on David's throne, and that would then go out, the peace and prosperity that that king would bring would go out into the world. But the Jewish people really <clears throat> were just a solution for the pride, the pride and the sin of Adam. And so although we may not be Jewish by uh, nationality or from the, you know, uh, Israel and those things, we have, share a very common thing with them, and that is we are all in Adam. So we could all say we are guilty of this sin. But in history and in the way, in God's perfect providence, this is how he did it. He used his people to be the catalyst to get the gospel to the world, and that was through rejection. Now, there was a couple types of rejection that we see here in this scripture. 
First of all, the Jews rejected Jesus. The way I like to say it is a simple outright rejection. In Matthew um, 27, 9, it says, Then that which was spoken through Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. They took 30 pieces of silver, the price of the one whose price had been set by the sons of Israel. So the sons of Israel, Israel as a whole, represented by the chief priests and the high priests, were the ones that rejected Christ. And Jesus says here um, in verse uh, 11, he says, you would have no authority over me unless it had been given you from above. For this reason, he who delivered me to you has the greater sin. So this is pointing to the Jewish leaders. Now, as a secondary application or as a secondary context, I'd also like you to think about what was going on right at this time. You see, in Matthew 27, 3 and 5, it says, Then Judas, who betrayed him, saw that he had been condemned. He felt remorse. He returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders. And he said, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. But they said, what's that to us? See to that yourself. Judas throws the 30 pieces of silver into the temple sanctuary and departed. And he went away and he hung himself. Now, if you go to Matthew, the very next verse is Jesus before Pilate having this discussion. So I think that there's an underlying accusation as well, contextually here, that the one who delivered me to you could not only be the Jews, but also Judas as well. Because right as Judas is going to hang himself, chronologically, we see in this gospel, is right when Jesus is talking to Pilate. So that is a great sin. You see, Judas never repented. He never turned from that sin. He took the the remorse, he bore the guilt, and he did all that, but he never turned from it and came back to Christ. And that is one of the greatest sins that anyone can commit, is not turning back to Jesus Christ, not going back to him when you sin, agreeing with him on that sin, and coming humbly for forgiveness. And so I just felt that that outright rejection could either be the Jews, but very, very good application as it relates um, to to Judas as well. Now, for you, if you are outright rejecting Jesus in your life, on what basis are you doing it? Now, many of you go, come on, Pat, look, we're not, I'm not rejecting Jesus. I believe in Jesus. Um, I come to church. I, I do all this stuff. And I agree with you, that's great, bearing fruit and all that. But what do I mean by when I say rejecting Jesus and I'm talking to people that know the gospel? <clears throat> I'm not necessarily talking to the atheist who's saying, oh, I don't want to have any of that Jesus. I don't even care if he's God. I would never follow him even if he was. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about following Jesus <clears throat> And what I, what I mean by rejecting Jesus is following him, but not just following him, making him the Lord of your life. See, if Jesus does not have lordship over your life, you're not following him. You may say you believe in him, 
You may even believe in the person of Christ. You may believe in the crucifixion. You may believe in the resurrection. And that's all good and dandy. But what you're doing is you're living your own life on your own terms. And Jesus is your savior, but he's not your Lord. And that doesn't work. He's got to be both. And so what I do and what I recommend is that if you feel that you are a believer in Jesus Christ, but he's not Lord of your life, then you have to go to him in repentance. And you have to say, Lord, I want you to be Lord over my life. Let's make it happen. See, I'm not, I'm not saying now what you need to do is go out and, and, and buy a book on how to, you know, follow the, make Jesus your Lord and then follow all the steps. And when you do all these things right now, that's not all that's going to happen as a result. Okay. But by rejecting Jesus, he's not Lord over your life. That's what we see here with the Jews. They don't want him as king. They don't want him as Lord. And so they outright reject him. There's also very manipulative rejection in this verse as well. Because you see here, as a result of this, Pilate made efforts to release him. You see, Pilate heard that Jesus was the son of God. Pilate became afraid. He goes in, he talks to Jesus and expects Jesus to say something militant, revolutionary. You just wait and see how I'm going to take you out, Mr. Pilate. And then Pilate would have a basis. But Pilate knows that this is not what's going on. He is absolutely confused. We're going to talk a little bit more about him in a little bit. But the Pilate made efforts to release him because, you know what? This guy doesn't do anything worthy of death. <clears throat> Again, it would be like saying, you know, I want you to call me president because I'm president now. You can say, all right, Pat, go ahead. You know, it doesn't make any difference. That's how Pilate looked at Jesus. Like, all right, I see he's some spiritual guy here, but he's really a pain for me because he's causing me all sorts of problems. <clears throat> and the Jews used that and manipulated him to reject Jesus. He says, if you release this man, you're no friend of Caesar. Everyone who makes himself out to be a king opposes Caesar. And that to me is really, really an awful way to betray the son of God through manipulation. They wanted to get, see, Pilate's great fear is this. If I crucify this guy and it gets out that he was a king, I'm sorry, if I don't crucify, it gets out that he was a king. I, my future job is at, st- is at stake. My future in the Roman army is at stake. Because as soon as, as Caesar finds out that Pilate let a supposed king go, he could get killed or fined or, or, or punished himself. And he, could, he may not ever be promoted. What happens if you were a troublemaker, if one of those governors were a troublemaker, they'd you know, give him some detail out in Alaska. You know what I mean? They, they say that in the army. Pack your bags, you're causing problems, you're going to be work a desk out in, you know, somewhere in the Middle East or out in Alaska or somewhere where you're just going to stay out of our way. And that's what they would do. They'd put them in, in these uh, crazy spots that they didn't want to be in. And if you look historically, that's what happened to Pilate. He got sent here because he had a history, if you, if you read about him historically, of being a little radical and really mistreating people. 
And he was a brutal, brutal leader. So he knew everything was here was at stake. But they, what they did <clears throat> is they manipulated. Jesus called them out on this. In Mark 7, 10 to 13, he said, For Moses said, Honor your father and mother, and he who speaks evil of father or mother is to be put to death. This is Jesus talking, and he's talking to the Jews. But you say, if a man says to his father or mother, whatever I have that would help you is Corbin. Okay, Corbin means that is given to God. <clears throat> you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus invalidating the word of God by your tradition, which you have handed down. So basically what he's saying is you're, you're, uh, in this culture, you're supposed to help your parents. You're supposed to give them money. But the Jewish people manipulated that and said, well, no, you know, really what this is, is I'm going to be, I'm going out and I'm buying this new Ferrari because I'm honoring God and I want people to, uh, to look at me and say, yes, that's a godly man. So really the money I'm spending on myself is ultimately honoring God so that way I don't have to give it to my parents. And that's a manipulative, things to do, a manipulative thing to do. Now we have to be careful with this because in the church we see this a lot. We see traditions being used as manipulation to fill the church or to get people, quote unquote, saved. Um, one example is a, a, um, an emotional appeal to get people to say the prayer, the sinner's prayer. <clears throat> you know, if you come in here one week <clears throat> and the lights are turned real down, and there's a lot of smoke up here and like a big disco ball, you know, and the lights are going out and all around and stuff, then you should go and you should leave. <laughs> because hopefully somebody has checked me into a mental institution with Chris. Maybe the one he already goes to, I'm not sure. But the emotional appeal, <clears throat> you know, the, the worship, I'll have, you don't have to come up, but the worship band, come on up now, and they play a really... <clears throat> tear-dropping song, <clears throat> I lower the lights, and I start to manipulate you and to tell you how great it's going to be as a follower of Jesus. And just, if you don't want to come up and say the prayer, just raise your hand. If you don't want to raise your hand, just wink your eye. If you don't want to wink your eye, just stay seated and do nothing, you know, and that will be it. And we see this a lot. <clears throat> and we see this emotional appeal for money on TV. Don't give in to those things. God changes the heart. There's nothing inherently wrong with saying a prayer to God. But if I'm manipulating you and trying to attract you in with that, and it works the same way with emotional appeals for hell and God's wrath. You know, sitting there hammering people over and over and telling them how their skin is going to burn and how the bubbles are going to get and where the worm doesn't die. Listen, those are scriptures that we have to preach. But by using that constantly to manipulate and to scare you in to coming to Christ or to getting my way as somebody to get that volume to come in is manipulating God. And the Jews were doing stuff just like they were doing whatever they had to do to manipulate Pilate to say and to get to for them to get their own way. We do it often in our own life as well. We, we, sometimes we could twist the scriptures to say the things we want them to say. And we have to be very, very careful to make sure that we allow God to do the work in our lives and most importantly in other people's lives. Not manipulating, not trying to force things. God is in control. 
okay? You, most of the time, God wants you just to get out of the way and let God work. He'll let you know when you need to speak. He'll let you know when you need to say something. The scriptures tell us when we need to do that. Other than that, we should let our yes be yes and our no be no. There's obviously the most obvious rejection here is the hypocritical rejection. In verse 15, they cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. And Pilate said to him, shall I crucify your king? We have no king but Caesar. What are you talking about? One of the most hypocritical statements in all of the Bible. I believe the pinnacle pivot point of the destruction of the Jews and Jerusalem and the whole entire Old Testament system. They rejected everyone God had sent to them. The prophets, John the Baptist, now God himself. And on top of it all, the hypocritical statement that we have no king but Caesar. As you heard Chris read in 2nd and 1st Samuel, God was angry with the Jewish people of Israel because they even wanted a king. It's like, don't you get it? I want to be your king. I want you to trust me, God saying this, as your king. And they're like, no, 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 we want a king, we want a king. And that angered, he said, God said to Samuel, this really is making me angry. What's wrong with these people? Why don't they trust me? Why don't they rely on me as their king? And here we see them, the same, basically the same thing that they're saying that Jesus is doing, they're doing. They're accusing Jesus of blasphemy. The very accusations against Jesus for him claiming to be the Messiah and King of Israel are being committed by them. They're hailing a false God King, and they know it. They hail Caesar as King right in front of the real King. For us, the worst hypocrisy, what is it? Well, What is hypocrisy? A lot of times we get confused off of that. You know, I've been called a hypocrite by by non-Christians, you know, because because maybe I've done something wrong. That's not hypocrisy. If you're a sinner, if if you sin, it's not necessarily hypocrisy if you call yourself a Christian. What's hypocrisy is if your specific sin that you're entangled with you're now deliberately pointing out in other people. That's real hypocrisy. And that's what these Jewish people are doing right here. You see, we have to be very careful. If you're struggling with something like that, you have to be honest with Jesus about your sin. See, that's the one mistake that I made for years as a Christian. I was so caught up in trying to be good that I forgot about the fact that God just wants me not to try to be good, but to throw myself and embrace Jesus Christ harder and and firmer and more frequently in my life. And Jesus, the sin bearer, will take that sin, forgive me of that sin, but also he promises to help me and transform me as I turn away from that sin. So this isn't about perfection. You know, that's, it's, you don't have to be the fine family, right? You know the fine family, everything's fine. Hey, how you doing? Good to see you at church. Everything's fine. You know, meanwhile, not everything's fine. Nothing's fine. But they're putting on the act here because 
They feel like that's what we have to do. No, that would be like going into a hospital limping with a broken leg. Oh, no, I'm, I'm totally fine. No, but we see the x-ray. It's a broken bone. No, it's totally fine. No, you've come to the hospital for help, didn't you? Well, yes, but I don't really know if I need help. Uh, but, you know, it's a little pain. No, it's broken in half. You need to admit that and get it fixed. See, that's what, that's what this should be. See, not necessarily church should be the hospital, okay? Because we're here for you. You're not coming here necessarily just to get healed. You're here to reflect the glory of God back up to him. As a, as a, we're doing it as a body. That's what church is about, to worship the one true living God together corporately. But the church, you are the hospital, we need to be there for each other. We were talking about it in Sunday school. You know, just <clears throat> when you see someone here at church, just say, how can I pray for you? What's going on? What, give me something to pray for you for this week. And they'll tell you, you know, and it will, it will strengthen you in your faith. It will strengthen them. But most importantly, it strengthens the body of Christ. It, it, this goes over and over, right? This exponentially rivets out ripples out and it moves forward the kingdom of God. <clears throat> so that was the, the Jewish people rejected Jesus. And now let's zoom in on Pilate because he's the one that I think we could relate to more than just the, than the Jewish people doing it because Pilate was a very confused, very like teeter totter type of guy in this scene. I mean, he had, Supposedly all the power, <clears throat> but you got Jesus in this room over here and you got the Jews outside over here. And what's Pilate doing this whole time? He's just going back and forth. You know, you, who you a king? He's not, he's innocent. No, we got to come. Why are you doing this? When you're going back and out, he's really confused. He wants to get this resolved. <clears throat> Pilate rejected Jesus, but you know, Pilate was afraid. Look at verse eight. Therefore, when he heard the statement that Jesus is son of the God, he was even more afraid. Look at this again. Sons of God was a very common term back then. That was what Caesar called himself. And so he's thinking not, oh, wow, is this the second person of the Trinity? Is this, you know, the one, the incarnated? No, that's not what he was thinking. He was thinking, is this some God? that I'm making a mistake on because there were many, many gods for, for those in Rome. They were false. They didn't really exist, but they worshiped pretty much everything. So he was afraid. He was, as, as we mentioned, of his future punishment, riots, Jews, Caesar. But also that fear, <clears throat> that fear was overcome by his pride. Look at verse 11. <clears throat> Verse 10, Pilate said to him, you don't, you're not going to speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and I have authority to crucify you? <clears throat> Jesus said, you would have no authority over me unless it had been given you from above. What does he mean by that? It's again, another play here. John is showing us what Jesus means. Jesus means God. You'd have no authority unless it was given to you by me, is what Jesus is saying. But in the context, Pilate relates to this, not as that, but as you're right, because who is above Pilate? Caesar. 
And the only reason he has the authority to release him and the authority to kill him is because he's representing Caesar. But Jesus says, I take my own life and lay it down and bring it up again. He has the ultimate authority over him. So yes, it was his pride. No authority unless it is given from above. Greater sin means greater blindness. Greater blindness since they were the people of God who handed, handed him over. They have a greater blindness than Pilate has for saying and sending Jesus to the cross because they knew what they were doing. And Pilate was sort of just there because he was under the authority of Caesar. He was a definite flip-flopper. Again, (laughs) he walks out of that and then he, he tries to release him. But the Jews say, if you release this man, you are no friend of Caesar. Everyone who makes himself out to be a king opposes Caesar. So he really did not know what to do. He then 13, when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and he sat on the judgment seat at a place called the pavement, which literally in the um, Greek means the, the gravel road. So there's this big gravel area. There's a judgment seat that's sitting there. And there's some translations which are really neat here. They say, therefore, when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the pavement. Some translations, some translators say that Jesus He brought Jesus out and sat him on the judgment seat, which is what created more of an outcry that, that, you know, here, behold your king sitting on that seat. But it was now the day of preparation for the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. And he said, behold your king. And that's when they cried out away, away with him. So how are we often like Pilate rejecting Jesus? Well, we are afraid of what fully believing could mean. And we're also afraid of what not fully believing in Christ could mean. We teeter-totter in that realm, in that zone of, wow, if I really, really give my life over to the Lord, like if I tell him God, I am yours, and I just fully surrender to the Lord. We're afraid of what that may mean. But yet on the other side, we're afraid if we go too far over this side, will I, will I drift away and turn away from God and fall so deep into sin that God will turn me over to it? And so what we do is that the enemy keeps us in that little medium place, that lukewarm place. And that's exactly what Pilate is doing. We have pride. No one will tell me how to act. No one will tell me how to think. And no one will tell me how to live. Do you believe in Jesus? Yes, I do, of course. But I'm not letting anybody tell me what it is. Well, what's your authority? Well, Jesus is my authority. Well, what about the whole word of God? Well, Jesus is the word, you know, and we bounce around and we vacillate and we make these little excuses rather than just with faith, just taking the word of God and understanding that as a Christian, you've given over your life, which means you've given over your authority. You've hung up your uniform. You've taken off your badge. You've given your gun. You've done all the things. And now you are fully under Christ's rule, lordship, and authority. 100%. 
You're afraid of that though, right? What's that going to mean? Man, how's my life going to change? People are going to think I'm weird. People are going to say, oh, well, then how am I going to, ha- when I'm hanging out with this friend or I'm hanging out with that friend, what am I going to say then? What's going to happen? Don't worry about that. Because where you're at in the middle place is much worse. Jesus said, I'd rather you be warm or hot, ice cold or, or, or steaming hot. Don't be lukewarm. Because at least if you're ice cold, we know where you're at. And we definitely know where you're at if we fully give our life to the Lord. We're like Pilate. We make efforts to release Jesus. We make those efforts. And to me, that just sounds like making an effort. Like if you want to, you know, those of you that work with people, if they said, if you said to them, hey, I need you to do X, Y, and Z. And they say, yeah, all right, I'll make the effort. You know, for sure that's not getting done. If you've worked with people. It doesn't work by making efforts. Trying doesn't work. Trying is just a noisy way of not doing something. And it's so funny because back in the day when I used to sell fitness, uh, people used to try to convince people that you can't try to get in shape. It doesn't work. And I used to do a stupid analogy. I used to put the pen in front of them and I'd say, try to pick up that pen. My wife hated when I did this. She's not here today or she would, she would shake her head. And, and everybody would pick the pen up. And to illustrate the point that trying is impossible, I say, no. I didn't say pick the pen up. I said, try to pick it up. You picked it up. See, trying doesn't work. And it's the same with Jesus. You can't try Jesus. He's not tryable. I see those give bumper stickers. Give Jesus a try. I'm going to beg you today. Just try him out. Test him out. No, don't ever try Jesus. It won't work. You see, God, what I'll tell you to do is read the Bible. Let the word of God get in your head. But I don't say try Jesus. Jesus will grab a hold of you. You have to commit to something to make it work in life. If it's difficult, that means it's probably worth doing it. If it's not difficult, if it's easy, I don't think it's worth doing it unless it's just something for fun or something on the lower scale. But I'm talking about a a big commitment in your life. A big change in your life is going to require action. It says in Matthew 27, when Pilate saw that he had accomplished nothing, but rather a riot was starting, he took the water and washed his hands in front of the crowd saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. He washed his hands. <clears throat> this reminds me, too, of that neutrality that a lot of people try to take with Christ, that neutral position. A lot of times the neutral position is one of believing. Well, yes, I believe, I have faith, and that's what the Bible says. You just have to believe in Jesus. That's called easy believism. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that when you come to Christ, he becomes your Lord. You move out of the neutral area. If you're still in the neutral area, you're still ultimately in rejection mode. But when you fully commit your life intellectually and in your heart to the Lord, he will then take you and make you innocent of his blood. But until you do that, you and I and everyone is innocent of the blood. You can wash your hands all you want. You can say, hey, I did my best. 
I'm taking this away now. I'm just, I tried this thing and I'm moving it. Nope, that doesn't work. We must acknowledge and fully surrender to Christ. Otherwise, we will be automatically guilty of the blood by rejecting him. No one is innocent of his blood until they take ownership of his blood. Take ownership of the blood of Christ. Stand firmly in it. And as as a little crass as this may sound, stand in it. Be washed in the blood of the Lamb. That's embracing Christ's blood in two ways. Knowing that it was you who spilled it and knowing that he spilled it for you to cover your sins. There's nothing greater than that. Blood of Christ. There's nothing that can make you more clean than the blood of Christ. But if you try to wash your hands, I'm innocent. You're ultimately rejecting him. So because... By rejecting Jesus in this sense here, in the things that we spoke about, like the Jews did and like Pilate did, you are ultimately rejecting God. Any person who rejects Jesus rejects God and without repenting loses any shred of hope for salvation. The Jews and Pilate were so close to God in this scene, yet they didn't see him. So close. How many of us on that day will go, wow, it was so close. I did miracles in his name. I did all the good deeds in your name, Lord. And Jesus said, I never knew you. I never knew you. Not I never knew you. I never knew you. You see, In order to be covered by the blood of Christ, he must know you. You must be impacted by him. Okay, and you must acknowledge your sin before him. This is not about perfection. I'm not telling you need to be perfect. Because if I do tell you that, it's only in a sense of positional perfection that we have right now with Christ. Positionally, we're in Christ. We're justified by faith. Positionally, we're sanctified. But what is the proof of that is that you are living for Jesus and there's fruit in your life and that you know him. And, it's, and, it, and that is simple to know. You just go to Christ and have that conversation with him. Have that discussion. You see, all who rejected the Jews, the Pilate, everybody, the crowd too rejected Jesus as we know. They all have this in common. They're all afraid of losing authority and power. They they don't want to lose their authority and power over their own life. Now, the benefit of coming to Christ is that any rejection that you may feel, he can relate to. This is a benefit beyond salvation. Because in this context, in this text here, Jesus is rejected. So therefore, he can relate as it says in Hebrews, every, he can relate to us because of the temptations that he went through as a man, he can relate to our temptations. Because he was rejected, he was a man of sorrows, he was full of grief, he can relate to ours. So if you are feeling rejected today, if you're feeling rejected maybe by society, by family, by friends, by people, by, by anything or anyone, 
Jesus can relate. In any situation, if you're feeling rejected by anyone, anytime, anything, Jesus can change your rejection to complete acceptance, regardless of who is standing by you or not. Because when you come to Christ fully, you be, he becomes your big brother. He protects you. He comforts you. He takes you under his wing and he takes you through to the end. And it's just, it's just there. Don't be like Pilate and, and the Jews. and They're vacillating and indecision. They're manipulating. They're doing whatever they can to, to avoid having to come under fully. Some act that way their whole life. You must be under his power and authority. Bonhoeffer says, not to act is to act. Not to speak is to speak. Not to follow Christ fully is to reject him fully. So my question to each of you is, will you give Jesus full authority and power over your life? If not, what's stopping you? Control? Give it all to the crucified one. Become free finally and fully by giving your life fully to Christ. You'll know what true freedom is. Now I pray Christmas and the holidays and all the fun times are most amazing for you as you celebrate, as you celebrate the coming of our Lord and King over 2,000 years ago. Yep, Jesus' birth, he completely changed history. But whether you accept or reject him as Lord, that will ultimately dramatically impact the course of your life, both in this world and in the world to come. So I encourage you right now, right where you're sitting, cry out to Christ. You don't need to go through a priest or anybody else. Just cry out to him. Give him your life. Give him all those sins that you, that you think that you're ashamed of, that you don't want to go to him about. He's saying, come on, man. Just come. Please, 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 please. You're right there. Come to me with those sins. That's who I am. I'm the sin bearer. I'm going to make you new, but you've got to come. And he will change you. and He will transform you. He will grant unto you repentance. He will give you that stronger faith. He'll walk with you. He'll be with you. But you have to, you have to let the word of God do its work in your heart. And you've heard the gospel. You've heard that you know the good news. But what are you doing about it? Are you just believing? Are you just thinking about it? Do you believe that you believe? But don't really believe? Give it 100% fully over to Christ. Surrender. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, grant unto us that repentance and that full surrender. We thank you so much for your grace in your son, Jesus, Lord. Lord, where sin abounds, grace abounds more. I do pray for each of our hearts here, God, that you would incline them more today towards you. Lord, as your son and as you, Lord Jesus, were rejected, Father, we, we look at it and we say, oh, how could they ever do that? But Lord, we know in our hearts, we've all rejected you in certain ways. So please forgive us, Lord, and make us into the people that you've created us to be.
In Jesus' name, amen.